We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome to day two of the NFL Draft, and welcome into the Pack a Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Day one is in the books. We will go over. What happened on day one, specifically with the Packers taking Lucas Van Ness, some of the players that they passed on, some of the players that are still on the board, who to keep an eye on in day two, what the NFC North did, some of the big takeaways from day one. We're going to get to all of it. Before I get there, I just want to remind you today on Friday, I'm going to be doing another live show 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. So make sure to check that out. That'll be live right here on YouTube. But wanted to remind you of that. As we start by going over day one of the draft, of course, the big takeaway here is the Packers drafting Lucas Van Ness, the edge rusher out of the University of Iowa. I want to touch base on a couple things really quick. So first of all, I'm not going to do a huge deep dive into Lucas Van Ness today. A couple reasons. A, my initial takeaway scouting report, I did a quick 10-minute episode on during the draft. Go check that out if you want my overarching scouting report on on Lucas Van Ness, like from what I did pre-draft. And as you guys probably know, if you've been following me for some time, I'm not going to give you a full breakdown because I am going to do as deep of a dive as I possibly can on every single Packers draft pick. So those will be daily episodes coming up. 
it's going to take a little bit longer for me to get to those, admittedly so. Same thing when I'm grading every player on every play during the season. I don't get to those a lot of times until Tuesday or Wednesday. A lot of people give you initial grades. They're not reviewing every player on every play and grading everything out. I'm going to give you a little bit, I'm going to give you quality. I'm not saying other people don't, but I'm going to give you quality as much as I possibly can. And it just takes time, effort, and energy to do that. So I'm going to give you the best possible breakdown. You just have to be a little bit patient with me. I'm going to give a couple takeaways on Lucas Van Ness today uh, that I didn't do in my video yesterday. Again, if you want the quick takeaway, definitely go to that. But the huge breakdowns on Van Ness and every single other Packers draft pick is coming in extreme detail. So I promise that'll come. But a couple things that I did want to get to on Lucas Van Ness today. First of all, I was a little bit... um, you know, I don't know if confused is the right word, but I was a little bit intrigued that like some of the press conference questions for Brian Gutekunst were like, all right, is he going to play defensive line or is he, is he going to play edge rusher? And I get that he has versatility. He's an edge rusher all day, every day. He is going to play edge and he will kick inside some, no question about it. I think, as I mentioned yesterday in my video, that's something he needs to work on and, you know, get better at with time. If I'm Green Bay, I have him master the edge first. And that's what I would solely play him at. And then as he gets that down, then start moving him inside more and seeing if he can start attacking uh, some of those guards and centers at different angles, maybe playing over center like Zadarius Smith did and doing some of those sort of things. But if I'm starting out, Lucas Van Ness is an edge rusher all day, every day, and I'm going to have him master that position first before I start tweaking too much. And I do think, as I mentioned, long-term, he's going to have the ability to play all across the line. You're going to be able to use him as a matchup piece. You're going to be able to you really pick your spots with him with who you want to line him over. Uh, but to begin with, strong player on the edge who can set the edge in the run game, who can rush the passer, bull rush, collapse the pocket, do a variety of different things, has a great long long arm move, uh, which allows him to get to the quarterback. So those are the things that I want him focusing on and then putting a pass rush plan together. And then once that's done, an edge rusher is like, okay, he's great at edge. Now have him start mastering some of the intricacies of playing a little bit more on the interior. That was one of the things in college that I thought he struggled on the interior. I thought that's when we saw him get on the ground a little bit more, hold up at the point of attack a little bit less, you start going against some of those maulers on the inside, especially in the NFL, life's going to be a little bit different. So I would keep him on the edge for the time being, but ultimately wherever he plays, his primary position is going to be edge rusher. Um, A couple things that I wanted to note, and these were from Dane Brugler and his draft guide, um, but I I love this. And I think, again, as you learn more about this player, I really think you guys are going to love Lucas Van Ness. I can't, listen, I know there's some angst and some frustration over the pick from some Packer fans. I can't promise you that Lucas is going to be good. I can't promise you he's going to be great. I can't promise you he's not going to be a bust. Everything's on the table with every single one of these draft picks. But Lucas is a first round talent all day, every day. This is a premium edge rusher with extreme athleticism, with high productivity and limited snaps. I, yes, he didn't start. You know what? He finished. He played their primary plays. He was their most trusted pass rusher. He was their most productive pass rusher. He was the guy that they went to on big plays. Yeah, Whether he starts or not is irrelevant. And Iowa has a history of starting their veteran players, their seniors, their juniors, and those sort of things. And that was not Lucas Van Ness. He, is still, he, he was still developing as a player. And Green Bay got him very, very young. And Van Ness was smart to come out early because guess what? He got taken at pick 13 in the draft, uh, which is you, you take that anytime you can get it, right? So uh, this is this is a first round premium selection all day, every day. And whether he turns out or not will remain to be seen. But 
these type of players have so much upside on the edge. Like they're just so hard to find. And if somebody who can set the edge, who can get to the quarterback, who has no physical limitations, there's nothing that he can't do athletically. Like you just, you take your chances on players like that. And we have seen Brian Gutekunst take aggressive swings at premium positions all throughout his tenure in Green Bay. This is another one. And I know some people are going to say like, but the, but the productivity, he wasn't a starter, things like his productivity on a per snap basis was fantastic. There's no question about that. So I have zero questions about his productivity and um, he like he fits the part entirely. The, the, those are my notes. Now from Dane and some of the things that I loved and I think you're going to enjoy as well. This was in his negatives column, by the way, this, these, these, this first one was from his negatives column. He competes with a touch of insanity. I'm sorry, Dane Brugler. I love you to death. Your draft guide is the best in the business. That is not a negative for me. The fact that he, quote, competes with a touch of insanity, I love. I will take that all day, every day. I want my edge rushers and defenders to compete with a touch of insanity. Now, to Dane's defense, Dane said he competes with a touch of insanity and then went on to say like, and it can cause him to play out of control at times and those sort of things. And yes, I get that. I'm willing to sacrifice a little control from time to time for my touch of insanity. I love that his hockey background comes out. It shows, you can tell he's got that fire. He's got that tenacity. His drive is incredible. Those are things that you are going to fall in love with as you watch some more tape, as you see some more highlights, and as he ultimately gets to Green Bay and you see how hot his motor runs. And the other thing that I love, this was not in the positives or negatives, but was just in the summary. When he played in his high school hockey league, he led the hockey league in penalties. Now, this is not carried over. He's not been a highly penalized player in the NFL. But what I want to point out to you, do you know that some of the things that you need to do aggressively and um, you know just how you play the game of hockey to lead the league in penalties? That's the type of player he is. He's tenacious. He's a little bit insane and you're going to love it. Now, the other thing I will say here is that this is, with Lucas Van Ness, what you're getting is a freak athletic specimen who can win right now simply with his traits. He is not a finished product. He is not a polished edge rusher. He is not a polished defender. His hands need work. His footwork needs work. His cadence as a rusher needs work. He needs to develop a pass to rush moveset in order to you know, change things up and get to the quarterback in a variety of different ways. Those are all things that need work guess what? Those are all teachable things. And those are all things that Rashawn Gary has gone through. Rashawn Gary was a freak athlete with size, speed, all the intangibles in the world, everything that you want in a perfect ball of clay edge rusher. Rashawn Gary had it. It was just going to take a little bit of time for him to put some things together. Lucas is going to be very similar in that regards. He has everything that you want, all the things that you cannot teach. And he is so chiseled and freakish athletically that he is going to win sometimes right now just on his pure athleticism. Now, that's not going to be enough to cut it in the NFL, but he's going to be good enough because of how he plays just athletically and with a very hot motor, motor and with a touch of insanity. Those are things that are going to help him win right now. And that is going to limit his floor as a player. 
Like, I just, I can't imagine a scenario in which Lucas Van Ness cannot help the team in some capacity. He is going to be a good rotational edge rusher almost no matter what. To me, that is his floor. Like I said, I can't guarantee you that he won't bust, but his floor is high enough athletically that he's going to be able to help the team in some capacity. Now, the thing with Van Ness is that if he gets those other things, if he learns how to use his hands, if he learns a better pass rush move set, if he learns a better you know, footwork and cadence as an edge rusher and learns how to set up offensive linemen, if he learns the stuff that are, is very learnable in the NFL as you develop as a pass rusher, if he learns those things, it's game over. You're just not going to, you're not going to be able to stop him because he has the, the real quick first step. He has the strength. He has the ability to push you into the quarterback. He has the ability to win with speed off the edge. He's got tremendous agility. He can play a variety of different positions along the line eventually with time. It's just the technique that needs work. And that is, again, something that is coachable. It is going to be up to the coaches to get the most out of him, which is exactly what the general manager is supposed to do. He just got one of the most chiseled raw, not raw, chiseled balls of clay that you could possibly get at the edge rusher position. And now it's up to the coaches to train him up and develop him. This is what Green Bay wants to do. Draft and develop. They got the guy. And like I said, this is not some sixth round pick that's just like all tools and no production and and is going to like take some time to figure things out. It's going to take some time for Lucas Van Ness, but he's going to be good and be able to help from day one. What Kingsley and Igbari was able to do, JJ and Igbari was able to do last year, Lucas Van Ness is going to crush that. What what he was able to from what um, Enigbari was able to do from a season ago, just because Enigbari doesn't have those natural skills, he just doesn't. So this is going to be a premium position player that's going to help Green Bay from day one, and the ceiling is insane. Like when I say Jared Allen, I mean Jared Allen. That that's the type of ceiling that this type of player has, and you know how forever. We heard about oh, Green Bay passed on TJ Watt. Green Bay passed on TJ Watt. Green Bay passed on TJ Watt over and over and over for Kevin King, for Kevin King. I'm not saying he's going to be TJ Watt. In fact, I'm pretty confident he's not going to be TJ Watt. There are very, very few TJ Watts. But that's the type of upside that he has. And if he ultimately ends up being another TJ Watt and they took a corner again, like a Christian Gonzalez or a Deontay Banks or something, or some even someone else, right? Even if it is a Jackson Smith and Jigba, if you pass on that again, you could be hearing all over again, oh, they took a you know wide receiver that had injury issues in college and passed on the next TJ Watt. Those are the, the those are the type of traits and upside that he has at the position. And whether he turns out or not will remain to be seen. But like I said, this is a first round pick all day, every day. And Ken Ingles, Ken Ingles on Twitter put this very, very well. For those of you who are upset. Imagine being upset that the Packers drafted a large, athletic, physical, productive, healthy, and young dude with a ton of upside at a premium position of need. It's very well said, Ken, and I agree with you 100%. And I will say one other thing here is it should be um, it should be something that excites you that Rashawn Gary was in a very similar situation and that Green Bay was able to develop him. Now, to be fair, Mike Smith, I think, had a lot to do with that, and Mike Smith's in Minnesota, which doesn't help uh, him all that much. But I do think that Green Bay in general has shown with their 
weight training and with their overall development of edge rushers, even in Igbari last year, what he was able to do in year one, I think they've shown, I mean, Zedarius had his best year of his career in Green Bay. Preston really kind of revitalized his career in Green Bay. I think they've shown that they can find edge rushers and really develop them as players, as members of the Packers. And I think that's going to happen with Van Ness as well. And again, I think you should be, your spirit should be buoyed by the fact that Green Bay has taken a, a very similar player from the Big Ten with extreme athletic traits and turned him into one of the better edge rushers in the NFL. And now they're going to try to do the same with Lucas Van Ness on the opposite side of the previously mentioned Rashawn Gary. The other thing I'll say here is, and not in regards to Lucas Van Ness, but we do this every year. And this is why I've tried to sort of tell you guys that Green Bay has a formula. Yeah, I had Lucas Van Ness as my prediction. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I've gotten plenty of predictions wrong in the past. But Green Bay has a very specific formula. They are telling us over and over and over and over and over again what they value in round one. And we get our hopes up every year. And I wanted JSN. I'm the same as a lot of you. I wanted Jackson Smith and Jigba. That's who I would have taken if I was if I was GM at the moment, on the clock, at pick 13. And JSN and Christian Gonzalez, I would have had a really long internal discussion with myself between Jackson Smith and Jigba and Christian Gonzalez. Christian Gonzalez would have been the highest player on my board. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba would have been the player that I ultimately probably would have selected just because I think he would have fit perfectly in the offense. I think Jordan Love could have used him a million times over, Uh, but I would have taken one of those two players. I, I had Van Ness really high. I love him. I think he's a really great player, but I can certainly understand. But Green Bay has told us over and over again what they like to do. And I've said it a million times, premium position player, extremely athletic, really, really young, extreme upside, you know, you has production, which again, I think Van Ness doesn't get credit for the production that he had over the past two seasons at Iowa he hit everything. And that's why when I did my top 25 Packers that are most likely Green Bay Packers in this this year's draft, I only did one that was expected to be taken in round one. There was technically two. Jack Campbell got taken on day one as well. But the only one that I put in there that I thought Green, like just again, so much screamed off the page that I couldn't not talk about him was Lucas Van Ness. It's just as plain as day. It's everything that Green Bay looks for. They tell us year after year, Yet my and I'll I said it too. I get the same way. What are we hoping for? Wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. And they just don't. That's not what they they're ultimately valuing. They they and I think Goody, I, I had my final three that I talked to you guys about yesterday. Broderick Jones, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Lucas Van Ness. And those are my final three. I said it's gonna come down to those three, and it was my guess, and my prediction was was Van Ness. But I think I, I wholeheartedly believe that those were the three that were high on his board that he was deciding between. And he took the, the the most premium position of those three, which is edge. I don't blame him. Those are hard players to find. If you can find them, you got to take them and you can kind of figure out some of the other ones later. Um, so the other thing that I will say is that uh, if you are one that is hoping for Joe Barry to get fired at some point. You're not a Joe Barry believer. I'm never going to be one to cheer for somebody to lose his job. If I'm going to cheer for somebody, I'm going to just cheer that Joe Barry has the, you know, the rest of his career, he just, the light bulb goes on and he figures it out. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, he becomes the best defensive coordinator in football. I would rather cheer for that. But for those of you who are hoping that Joe Barry, um, either A, figures it out or B, gets fired, can understand that maybe a little bit more. The pressure on Joe Barry is going to be immense. You could tell it from Brian in his press conference of, 
you know, they've spent a lot of premium picks and, and money on players on defense. And now they just got another top 13 pick in the draft on defense. The pressure is on the defense. They need to go out and perform. This is no longer a team with a Hall of Fame quarterback. You are going to have to win in different ways. And that starts with being a dominant defense. And that's what the expectation is going to be this year. I think we're all smart enough now to not say that Green Bay is going to have a top five or top 10 defense. Nobody's going to predict that until Green Bay goes out and proves it. You have to prove it. And especially when Joe Barry is your defensive coordinator. So you're going to have to go out and prove it. But the pressure is on and the pressure on Joe Barry this season is going to be immense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then let's talk for a second about JSN and, and Christian Gonzalez. Cause I know like I kind of said in my quick video yesterday that like that's the elephant in the room, right? So a couple things. I love Christian. He was a top five player in the draft for me. I think he would have been a just disgusting fit with Jair Alexander on the outside, but a couple things. They've spent a lot of money and resources on corners already to go Jair in the first round in 18 Eric Stokes in the first round in what, 21? And then Christian Gonzalez in the first round in 23. That's a lot of premium selections on one position in, you know, what, five years-ish? So that's that's a lot to ask. And I do, I can understand why maybe they didn't want to do that, even though Stokes is injured. And even though, you know, Razul might be on the last year of his deal, Keyshawn Nixon, you know, could be one and done depending on what his contract looks like next year. There, there's a long-term need there still. I think you make the argument that they put a lot of money and resources into that position already and going in that same direction maybe wasn't the right direction to go in. I can understand that if that was the thinking. And the thing with JSN that I'll say, as I, I'm going to say it one more time, I would have taken JSN. Of, of everyone that was on the clock at the time, I would have taken JSN. But the thing that I will say is while I do believe he can play on the outside, he is primarily a slot receiver. Look at this draft and look at a lot of the drafts that are projected in the future, 
you can find slot receivers. You can find a lot of slot receivers. Now, not many quite as good as Jackson Smith and Jigba, and I think he's going to go on to have a phenomenal career. It is a pain that he's going to Seattle with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and a really fun trio of wide receivers, Kenneth Walker at running back. Like That is a fun group. We'll see what Geno Smith can do with it. He had a really good year last year, but slot is a far less priority to find, especially in the first round, than outside wide receivers. Those are the tough ones to find. Those are the ones that you really need to spend premium picks on. And I think it's somewhat telling that, you know, not only did the Packers not take JSN, but he didn't go until pick 20. It wasn't like teams were scrambling to get up and like, oh, Green Bay and the top 13 teams passed on him. Let's let's move up and get him. Let's get him. Let's get him. Let's get him. He lasted until pick 20. And then there was a run on wide receivers, 21, 22, 23, all went wide receiver with Addison and, um, Johnston and Flowers, not in that order, but uh, there was a quick run on wide receivers. But slaughter easier to find. It just is. And I think that probably played a factor in Goody's decision to go with a premium edge rusher rather than a guy that is going to probably play 80 to 90% of his snaps in the slot, which again is a position that you can usually find a little bit easier. All right, let's talk playmakers for a second because there were a lot of people upset that. Green Bay didn't take JSN and that they didn't end the first round with a playmaker. I know a lot of people went into the draft looking JSN, Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, a couple of those things, right? It is so weird to me that this is a franchise that has found non-first round playmakers better than probably any other franchise. Maybe the Steelers are right right around there with them as well, with the Antonio Browns, the Emmanuel Sanders, the Chase Claypools, the Deontay Johnsons, the Heinz Wards, the you can go on and on. They found a lot of them as well. But this is a team that has found Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, MVS, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, amongst others, on day two and beyond in the draft that have not spent premium picks on wide receiver, not a first round pick on wide receiver since Javon Walker. And I could understand if it is a history of failed second through seventh round wide receivers, that is an incredible list of day two and three wide receivers that Green Bay has been able to find. Green Bay will continue to look for playmakers on day two and day three of the draft. And I expect a playmaker bonanza over the next two days wide receiver, tight end, even at running back, expect plenty of playmakers off the board. And we are just getting started. This is where it's going to get really fun. This is where Green Bay is going to attack the playmaker position. And the next couple days should be really fun for that reason. And even the last great tight end Green Bay took, by the way, was Jermichael Finley, who was taken in the third round, not the first round. So just because they didn't go playmaker round one does not mean they can't find some really good playmakers on day two and day three in the draft. All right, which brings me to my next thing, and that is my day two watch list. So I want to go over first. These were all players that were on my 25 players to watch list that are still available and are likely day two, round two, round three type of guys. So these were all on my list of players that scream off the page as Green Bay Packers. Darnell Washington, Cody Mock from North Dakota State, Darnell Washington, of course, from Georgia, Tucker Craft from South Dakota State. Matthew Bergeron, the tackle slash guard from Syracuse. Gravon Dexter, the defensive lineman out of Florida. Isaiah Foskey, the edge out of Notre Dame, although I think it's much less likely that they take an edge rusher now uh, that they already have one. Quan Martin, the safety out of Illinois. Rasheed Rice, the wide receiver out of SMU. Jonathan Mingo, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. Corey Trice Jr., the corner out of Purdue. 
Luke Schoonmaker, the tight end out of Michigan. Isaiah McGuire, the edge out of Missouri. Israel Abanaconda, the running back out of Pitt. And Josh Wiley, the tight end out of Cincinnati. All of those are day two, round two, round three players that again, scream off the page as Green Bay Packers. And those are you know some of the ones that I went through on my list the other day. In addition to those players, some players that got left over from day one that are still there on day two that I think Green Bay could have a very big interest in, Michael Mayer, Brian Branch, Luke Musgrave, Keanu Benton from Wisconsin, Sam Laporta, Jalen Hyatt, and uh, Adetamiwa Adebawari. Of course, I had to bring him up one more time, right? So those are all players I think Green Bay could have a lot of interest in. If I was building a big board for Green Bay, knowing that they have two of the top 14 picks in this year's, or in the second round, I should say, they have two of the first 14 picks, Darnell Washington, Tucker Craft, Matthew Bergeron, Quan Martin, the safety out of Illinois, Jonathan Mingo, Michael Mayer, Brian Branch, Luke Musgrave, Sam Laporta, Jalen Hyatt, Joey Porter Jr., who's still out there, Cody Mock, Adetamiwa, Adeboare, and Keanu Benton. Out of those 14 players, two of them at minimum will be on the board when Green Bay selects, meaning they should be able to get two of those 14 players if they so choose. Again, Darnell Washington, Tucker Craft, Matthew Bergeron, Quan Martin, Jonathan Mingle, Michael Mayer, Brian Branch, Luke Musgrave, Sam Laporta, Jalen Hyatt, Joey Porter Jr., Cody Mock, Adetamiwa, Adeboare, and Keanu Benton. My official predictions, I'm going to be a little bit more of a, a cheat. I'm not going to give you just one name at each of these. These are a lot harder as day two and day three goes on. But I'm going to say with one of their picks on day two, they will get one of the tight ends between Tucker Craft. Darnell Washington, Michael Mayer, and Sam Laporta. I don't think Musgrave's going to quite be on their list as much, but I'm going to say they get one of those four tight ends with one of their second round picks. I'm going to say that with their other second round pick, they get either Rasheed Rice or Jonathan Mingo, one of those two wide receivers. I think one of those two will be the pick at wide receiver. I think one of those four tight ends, again, Kraft, Washington, Mayer, or Laporta will be their pick at one of the picks. And then in the third round, if I had to narrow it down, I would say Josh Wiley, the tight end, Israel Abanaconda, the running back, Zach Kuntz, the tight end, and Quan Martin, the safety. One of those four on in the third round. So again, one of the four tight ends, Kraft, Washington, Mayer, or Laporta with one of the second round picks, either Rasheed Rice or Jonathan Mingo with the other second round pick. And then Josh Wiley, Israel Abanaconda, Zach Kuntz, or Quan Martin with their third round pick. Those would be my official predictions. Um, if Green Bay wanted to get a little bit more aggressive and move up and make sure they get some of those players, theoretically, uh, pick 45, the second of their second round picks plus their third round pick should get them to the top of round two. So if they wanted to give up their second, second round pick, pick 45 plus their third round pick, which they'll probably waste anyway, hopefully that's not the case, but, uh, you know, if they wanted to do that, that theoretically should get them right to the top of round two. Maybe they take a Michael Mayer, maybe they take a Brian Branch, get one of the best tight ends or one of the, or the best safety in this year's draft. That could be the direction that they go in if they want to move aggressively up in the draft. In addition, pick 42 plus the fourth round pick, if they wanted to go in that direction, would get them to about pick 35 or 36, which would be either the fourth or fifth pick in round two, which would probably guarantee them one of those top tight ends at that spot. The other uh, just kind of clean up as we go through and kind of review day one of the draft, as I mentioned, tight ends round one, not a lot of value at that point. And the NFL ultimately seemed to agree. The best one in the group, in my opinion, Dalton Kincaid, 
He ends up going in round one. The Bills move up for him, jump Dallas, who probably would have taken him at 26. Or at I think the Bills move up to 24. The the cow or yeah, either way, it doesn't matter. The Giants were at pick 25. Um, I think that was the pick that got moved. I think the Cowboys were at 26. But either way, uh, Kincaid gets taken at pick 25 and the Bills move up for him, but the only tight end taken. And that's why to me, the talk of tight ends at pick 13 seemed silly all along. Like that's just, yeah, if you if you see one of these guys that's just a can't miss, physical freak, extreme production in college at tight end, like, yeah, maybe you take that gamble earlier. But in this draft, I feel like around pick 25 was exactly where the value was. That's where the bills get Kincaid. And meanwhile, Michael Mayer, who people were mocking at 13 and 15, doesn't even get taken in round one. Darnell Washington, not taken in round one. Luke Musgrave, not taken in round one. And there's a lot of value at tight end still on that board. Meanwhile, the NFC North was an interesting, a really interesting draft for the NFC North. So of course we know Green Bay's pick. The Bears take Darnell Wright, offensive tackle out of Tennessee. As you guys know, I love Darnell Wright. I think he's a phenomenal player. I think, I don't know that necessarily, I think that, you know, where they got him, what, pick 10 uh, was rich or anything like that. I think, I think that's a, a fairly decent, you know, pick at pick 10 with, with Darnell Wright. I will say this, and I know Chicago got a haul of draft picks from Carolina, which they did a phenomenal job with. I think they also they get DJ Moore in that trade as well, which was a huge pickup for them. Overall, Chicago did a tremendous job. Plus, they moved down one pick and picked up a fourth round pick and still got their guy. That was a good job by them. So they, they did a really good job with all of that. I will say, if you started with pick number one in this draft and you ended at pick 10 by taking Darnell Wright, that is slightly underwhelming, even though they did a phenomenal job with all of the moves and getting a bunch of extra stuff for a team that needs a lot of extra stuff. They did a lot of things right. But if you go into a draft with pick one and you leave with pick 10 and Darnell Wright, and I know a lot of other stuff, but that, I don't know that, that I'm not as concerned about that as a Packer fan, even though I am concerned about all the other capital that they did acquire in the process. And like I said, I love Darnell Wright. So good pick for them overall. Vikings get Jordan Addison. I really like Jordan Addison, and I think he fits really well in Minnesota, unfortunately. I think him and Justin Jefferson are a really smart pairing. You want to know who I saw a little bit of when I watched Jordan Addison? Stefan Diggs. I don't think he's going to be that, but you see a little bit of the smoothness in his game that Stefan had coming out of college. I see some of that same game in Jordan Addison. The Addison-Jefferson group could be a real pain in the butt, and I'm not a huge fan of that, but um, still... I think they they have two good wide receivers, but Kirk's only going to take them so far. Delvin's starting to wear down a little bit. It's going to be a good offense, but they're going to need a little bit more to get over the hump, and I just don't think they're going to get there ultimately. Meanwhile, the Lions had probably the most interesting draft of any team. They honestly took what are probably my two favorite players in the draft, in Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell. I love to death both of those players. That was so rich. By taking them where they took them. And it's such a, it's a, such a weird dynamic for me because I'm like, that's my favorite offensive player, my favorite defensive player in the draft. Love both of them. It's such a pain that they go to the Detroit Lions. But as a Packer fan, that it's, it's bad business taking uh, for the Lions to take a running back that early and an off-ball linebacker. Like you had two top first round picks and you got an off-ball linebacker and a running back? Yeah. 
That's that's cringe. That's not modern day drafting. That's not using analytics to your favor. And as much as I love both of the picks, I love both players. Like I said, my two favorite players in this draft, probably those two, and they get both of them. And you would think if any team got your two favorite players, they you'd be like, oh my God, that's the greatest draft of all time. But like, I was thinking Jameer more towards the end of round one and Campbell maybe middle of round two. And even if you got like either guy, like end of round one, like maybe, but man, they went aggressive going after both of those players. And like I said, they got two phenomenal football players. Campbell's going to be really fun and fit perfectly in that defense. Jameer Gibbs also going to be a huge pain uh, to go against. He is going to be an explosive running back in Detroit. Those are those are not going to be fun things to deal with for Green Bay, nor is Jordan Addison and, and Darnell Wright's going to give Justin Fields a lot of protection on the right side. I like all four of those players a lot. None of it really scares me all that much from a Green Bay point of view. I thought I thought the NFC or the, the NFC North did good. Like they left with Darnell Wright, Lucas Van Ness, Jordan Addison, Jameer Gibbs, and Jack Campbell. Five good players, but ultimately, a, I don't know. The lines, the lines one is really, really interesting. That's going to be really fun to kind of keep track of how that plays out. Uh, the the Texans versus the Eagles is a really fun dynamic here. Both teams had two picks in the first round. The Texans get Stroud, which I love at pick two, but then make a absolute boneheaded, like just gave up way too much to go get Will Anderson rather than giving up a little bit and getting Tyree Wilson or even just moving back and getting like a Nolan Smith or like a different edge rusher at a different point in the draft or staying put and just taking Lucas Van Ness. Like I can't imagine giving up that much draft capital they they could have given up a second round pick and gotten Tyree Wilson or all of the crap that they gave up for Will Anderson. To me, it is a no brainer. Give up the second and go get Wilson rather than that much for Will Anderson. But um, two really good players they got, but that was a lot to give up. Meanwhile, the Eagles, what did they do? They get two more Georgia defenders. They get Jalen Carter at pick nine, move up, give up a future fourth to move up one spot. And then Nolan Smith just falls to them at pick 30. That defensive front is stupid insane with what they have with depth, rotation ability, different flavors of players. It is disgusting how, what they have on their defensive front right now. So to me, Texans, a big loss for what they gave up. The Eagles, a huge win for what they were able to acquire with their two first round picks. Uh, the Cardinals got an absolute haul from the Texans and then gave a little bit less to move or a lot less to move up and get Paris Johnson, the guy that they wanted at pick three anyway. Thought that was a masterclass by the Cardinals. Those are my key takeaways from day one. I, the last thing I'll say is now is when the real draft begins. Day one is the sexy picks. It's the picks everyone knows, the, you know, the players everyone knows. This is where GMs really make their money. Day two, day three of the draft, really building the foundations of your team. And this is where Green Bay has the ability to really fill out those playmaker positions. And I think these next two days are going to be a ton of fun for Packer fans as they unlock, uh, unlock and unwrap a lot of presence at the skill positions. Should be a lot of fun. Reminder, 4 p.m. draft show Friday. Check it out. I was also going to do a live one immediately following the draft on Saturday. Going to continue to break down the picks on day two. So when Green Bay makes their selections on day two, I'm probably going to wait in the second round until they've made both of their picks and then just do one quick video. And then I'll do one following their third round pick as well. Uh, but keep an eye out for those. And of course, you're going to get your daily episode 365 days a, uh, a year uh, as well. Uh, it is late. It's 128. I've done a lot of draft stuff already. Uh, but I love this weekend. Thank you so much for joining me. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. I'll see you guys in a bunch of different things in the next couple days. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.